The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyot. Usually I do these spaces around investment ideas. This is going to be a much deeper, more involved conversation. I'm going to run this a little bit differently than I've done uh, prior spaces. We'll have everybody introduce themselves, but real quick, my name is Michael Gaed. I am the publisher of the Lead Lag Report. My co-host who made all this happen is Mr. Todd Harrison, who I've known for a long, long time, phenomenal human being. Uh, this is a cause that's very uh, near and dear to his heart. Todd, just introduce yourself real quick here for the audience. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for pulling this together. Uh, This is really about Weldon and Luke and the good work they're doing. I look forward to this, and I thank you. All right, let's go to uh, Kyle next. And Kyle, we're going to get into your story, but just a quick uh, quick brief intro here. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Todd. Really appreciate you uh, hosting this. This is fantastic. In my opinion, I wish everybody in America could could hear this. It's that important. And let's go to the the men of the hour here, who I, I didn't know very much about up until a couple of hours ago when I started doing some research for this space, uh, I'm actually blown away by their story, their strength, and what they're doing. So, Mr. Weldon uh, Angelos, welcome. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm Weldon Angelos. I don't know how long you want me to uh, go into it, but my story's pretty lengthy. But um, the short of it is I was an up-and-coming music producer, and I got hit with a 20-count federal indictment for selling $300 worth of cannabis on three occasions that ended with a 55-year mandatory minimum. And it took about 13 years, thanks to the help of a number of uh, passionate advocates, senators like Mike Lee, Cory Booker, my own sentencing judge, and Alicia Keys and, and Snoop. I was finally released in 2016. And you know, I hit the ground running when I got out. Um, one of the interesting aspects of this is that, you know, when I was in probably halfway through my sentence, I met Luke Scarmazzo. Um, we were both in Lompoc together, a federal prison in Southern California. And I heard his story, which I thought was more egregious than mine. He had uh, followed state law. He did everything by the book. You know, I, I, mine was a street crime. You know, I, I knew what I was doing was illegal, but Luke did everything that he was supposed to be doing, and he ended up with a 22-year sentence. So we started, you know, talking and sharing our stories. And, you know, I had a lot going on at the time politically and with the clemency community. And so I, 
you know, offered to help Luke write his clemency petition. And, you know, over the next, I would say, four years, you know, we worked on both of our clemency petitions. I thought Luke would be getting out fighting for me and, you know, announcing my release when I got out. Um, but I ended up getting out before him. And um, one thing that, you know, I said, and I remember him asking me not to forget about him. So when I got out, I wanted to start my own nonprofit. And one of the first things that I was able to work on was a bill called the First Step Act. And interestingly, this bill was passed under President Trump's administration. And the interesting aspect of this is that although the First Step Act did not deal with cannabis or, or any, any cannabis-related offenses, it reformed mandatory minimums like the charges that I, that I had that got me 55 years but the First Step Act expanded a provision in the criminal code called compassionate release. And traditionally, compassionate release was left for people that had medical issues where they couldn't care for themselves. But Congress in the First Step Act expanded it for judges to look at cases where there are extraordinary and compelling circumstances. And when it passed, um, me and Luke were talking and, you know, he and I both had the same idea in our head that extraordinary compelling circumstances could apply to his case because so much had happened and developed in the legal landscape around cannabis since he was arrested um, in 2006 that we believe it constituted extraordinary and compelling circumstances. And so after and I'll let Luke tell his story about the you know some of the problems we have with this case, particularly being told he was going home by the Trump administration and having that reversed an hour before the list came out. You know, so I'll, I'll let Luke get into that. But you know, if it weren't for the First Step Act, Luke would not be here today. Um, the First Step Act was probably the most comprehensive criminal justice reform bill since 1970. And it's let out probably around 20,000 people. And so I'm happy that to be out now and I'm happy Luke's out. There's a lot of work to do. And so I'll let Luke get into his story. Yeah, Luke, uh, please talk about uh, what happened. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the whole situation, honestly. I'm, and I, I'm, I'm glad to see, obviously, that you're out. But go ahead, Luke. Uh, hi, Mike. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Todd, Kyle, Weldon, everybody who's listening. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been out about six days now, you know, so I mean, it's still it's still really fresh. So, yeah, like just to jump off of what Weldon was saying is um, we saw the first step act and we saw like, I guess we would call it like the little trap door provision that was in the that was built into the compassionate release slash sentence reduction stuff. And, And we thought we had a good chance at it. And, you know, we also thought we had a good chance at clemency. You know, we we under the Trump administration, Weldon had advocated for me strongly, had had a relay from the White House that we would be getting clemency. And it was it was a big letdown. So that was that 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 didn't go through. So we continued to fight, continue to fight for justice. And in the federal system, I mean, there's so many roadblocks that come up. There's so many things that that get in your way and you just really got to persevere through them. You can't give up. You got to keep on fighting. So we kept on pushing forward, filed our motion under compassionate release. And then it just like sat there. It sat there for about three years, I would say, since 2019. And the judge had some had some real like issues of whether this applied to cannabis, you know, because, you know, in the spirit of the compassionate release, it it had never really been used on strictly a cannabis case. There, There had been a number of other cannabis cases that had been granted compassionate release, but they used some other 
factors that were involved in. And with our case, we were like, we had some of those other factors, but our main thrust was the change in the legal landscape of cannabis. And, you know, that I was serving 22 years for running a legal medical cannabis dispensary. We had our state license. We had our license from the city. We paid all of our taxes. So we were doing everything above board, following California law to the letter. And uh, so we thought that was going to be an extraordinary and compelling reason to to be able to get out. And like I said, last Friday, a judge in Fresno, Judge Draw, decided that we we fit it. And he said and he cited he went into a 29 page opinion about everything that was going on in the in the changing landscape of cannabis and how California has a vibrant cannabis market now and nobody's being prosecuted anymore. And it just didn't make sense for somebody in my situation or someone similarly situated to be serving, you know, multiple decade sentence while while we have all this going on in California now. So, you know, it was a godsend. It was a blessing that came down. He ruled in our favor and and I was released last Friday and now I'm ready like you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the time with my family. I'm hanging out. I'm reconnecting with them. But there's a lot of work to be done still. There's still a lot of guys that are in prison right now for nonviolent cannabis offenses. And, you know, Mission Green and everyone else that, that becomes part of that that program and that push that we're pushing forward here, we're circling back for them. We're, we're going to make sure that nobody's in there for cannabis anymore. And, and that's going to be our primary mission we're going to make sure that like we need to change this. This is this it's it's not right. It's not right and it's not just and it's something that we're very passionate about and I really really am happy and appreciative of everybody to give us this space and this opportunity to be able to come on here and talk about it. If I can give some context to everybody that's listening to this. Luke and Weldon by themselves are amazing individuals and what they suffered both of them served almost 15 years of their lives in maximum security federal prison. I'm the chairman, CEO, and co-founder with Graham Farrar of a, of a publicly traded cannabis company in Luke's home state of California. He had one dispensary in Modesto, California. He had one. Right now, I have nine open dispensaries. Over the next year, I'll sell a quarter of a million pounds of cannabis. So, And, and the fact is, I'm living my best life. And I'm being asked, how can I be you know, people like you, Michael and Todd, that are saying, how can you grow for cheaper? How can you grow for higher potency? How can you grow? Meanwhile, thank God Luke is out, but there's 2,700 federal prisoners that are still in for cannabis, 2,700. President Biden is virtue signaling. He has pardoned people that are no longer in prison. He has traded away the so-called merchant of death to get Brittany Griner out. I'm certainly happy she, he did that and she's out. But she violated Russian law. These are Biden's prisoners, 2,700. And when I, as a former advocate to end the war on drugs, because I was in law enforcement for five years, I was part of the problem, the drug war. I asked my other advocates, I can't look myself in the mirror and be trying and, and, and building a large cannabis company while people like Luke were serving long prison sentences. And there's a few groups out there, including a prominent one in my state, but the advocate said, you've got to talk to Weldon Angelos. And Michael, Todd, you have the right man. I know, Todd, you've done a lot to help Mission Green. And as, as Weldon and I are strange bedfellows, he served over 13 years in prison. I was a police officer and I'm in the cannabis industry. 
we have the same North Star. We cannot continue this craziness where you have companies that are listed on the public markets in cannabis and you have 2,700 people that did far less that are serving hard time. And I, I know Luke is, is figuring out what he can and cannot do because he wasn't pardoned. President Biden really didn't help him. But we've made him a job offer. We'd love him to come to work for us. And we're hoping we get many more out and we can, we can help them get their lives back and get them back into cannabis where they can make some money. But that's all I wanted to say. The really interesting, I wanted to give just a bit of color to Weldon and Luke. These are two amazing individuals that have suffered hugely. And Michael and Todd, thank you so much for having them on. I am, I'm honored to be on, on the show. And uh, I'm going to now be quiet and turn, turn it over to the people that, that really are, are interesting to listen to. Yeah, and Todd, I want you to also chime in a little bit on this because it, it is remarkable to me that, you know, when I heard that stat, that, that blew my mind, 2,700 prisoners still. And, you know, people are going about their day. I'm in New York. People are smoking on the street. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now... Back to our discussion. By me, there's, I don't know, four or five dispensaries that just opened up. Why is it such an issue to get these prisoners out? Well, you know, listen, we all have our story how we came to cannabis. Uh, you know, mine was uh, a function of realizing that the plant was very beneficial to my wellness uh, after 9-11 uh, and the trauma. It was a real crutch and a real aid to me, and uh, it was through that discovery process that I met Dr. Julie Holland and the, and the wellness benefits of the plant, and became impassioned about you know what this could and shouldn't be. Uh, and as I started to study the history, this was what fifteen years ago now, and I saw the weaponization of this plant and the history of of what they've done uh, to to the criminal justice uh, system using this plant, weaponizing it. And the way it's been held down from a wellness perspective, because it's a threat to so many other industries, it became clearer. Uh, I think it's been a, for me, it's been a learning curve, a, a steep and costly one, but one that's illuminated who has been righteous in, in their efforts and who has been forgazing, so to speak. You know, I came across this cause, uh, uh, Brady Cobb and, and Jeff Schultz and, and, and Kyle, you know, they talked about this guy Weldon and, uh, you know, when I finally uh, met him and spoke to him, and uh, it was uh, really through an introduction to Verano, who stepped up and created a program that was a roundup program uh, for criminal justice reform across their network. Uh, once, uh, I think it was the first Friday every month, uh, and their first spotlight was Luke. So I've been following this story for some time, and in my dealings with sort of the industry and uh, understanding how this is moving in D.C., or not, as the case may be, uh, and, and seeing sort of the evolution of the industry from the inside out at the state level, um, it's been a really interesting journey. And, I, and I've, you know, I've come to find Weldon to be just a genuinely honorable man 
but he's doing things for the right reason. And, and, you know, having walked the people's house in DC with him and watching lawmakers rush out to shake his hand and take pictures, like it became pretty self-evident that they're listening to him for a reason. And, and, and he's, you know, he's the right man to sort of lead this charge. So uh, it became pretty easy to support him. You know, I know it's been a tough couple of years in the market, but I'll let him sort of talk to, you know, the, the program with Verano and, you know, sort of what he's doing there because he, he and Luke are the stars. I have one question for Luke when we get to it is, you know, coming out after, what was it, 14 years, you know, what were some of the surprises? What opened your eyes? What, you know, what were some of the, or, or I guess are still some of the bigger illuminations that you've witnessed uh, in your six days, you know, as a free man again? Thank you. Yeah. And Weldon, I think, and part of that is, is I'm curious also myself as a offshoot of that, just background wise, at what point did you say to yourself, you know, this is my calling, like, I'm going to do this nonprofit, I'm going to advocate for for reform, this is kind of my my calling in life? Was it, you know, while you were in prison? Was it when you came out of prison? Shortly thereafter? I'm just curious, sort of the evolution of that. Yeah, I think it was when I came out, when I got out, because, you know, when, when you always make plans, like, this is what I'm going to do when I get out, you know, I had a whole list of things that I wanted to do. And part of it was, you know, I wanted to get my music career back because, you know, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. I worked with all the biggest names in the industry. And, you know, I, I come from poverty. I didn't have connections or money. And so getting into the industry was, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. So when I got out, I had a, a choice to make. Do I really want to do that? Or do I want to dedicate my time? Because I had a unique opportunity. I had people like Charles Koch, and, and Snoop and these people from different walks of life that fought to get me out that wanted to keep doing something. They wanted to keep working and advocating. And so a lot of people in Luke, you know, him being left behind when he should have got out, when I got out under President Obama's administration, I decided, you know, I, I have to do this. You know, this is a huge opportunity. The network of advocates that fought for me I got to do something with it. And and I couldn't leave, you know, people behind. And so I decided, and we were so successful. My, the first thing that we did when we got out was go to work with, with President Trump and try to get the First Step Act passed. And just seeing the way that the left and right came together to get that done was so inspiring that I wanted to immediately start my own nonprofit and shift our attention to cannabis issues. Because the First Step Act, while it didn't address anything cannabis related, it, it helped people like Luke eventually, but it didn't do anything for people that are just in there for cannabis only offenses. And so, you know, I wanted to use the network to try to, you know, move the needle along. And that's what we've been doing. Luke, you're an entrepreneur at heart, right? I mean, let's face it. I think, you know, you you can't get that out of your system, right? That's always something that's part of one's personality wanting to build. And it's, it's incredible what happened. And I know it's still very early, but I am curious. I mean, you have that itch to sort of get back into building businesses and just growing. I mean, whether it's in cannabis or not, I I think, you know, your personality kind of lends to that. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you hit it right on the head. I mean, when, when you're an entrepreneur, it's something really that's in you. And I I love to build, I love to create, you know, just when we started our dispensary, we, when we started the dispensary, we were one of the first licensed dispensaries in the country. You know, this was back in 2004. You're right after California passed the Medical Marijuana Program Act, which kind of allowed collective and, and dispensaries at that time. So, like, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, I, I had grown up in the business, like before it was legal, you know, I, my first cycle that I grew, I think I was 15 years old. 
you know, I grew up in California in the nineties. So it was like, you know, my dad smoked cannabis, my aunts and uncles smoked and sold cannabis. Like it was all around me, you know, when I was growing up. So it was kind of like a natural progression to want to go into that space and, and continue to build and, and try to flourish in that space too. It's a lot different now, you know, it, coming out now, I mean, even in my city, you know, Modesto's a, a relatively medium-sized city. I mean, I think we have like two dozen dispensaries at, at the current time right now, just here. So, it, you know, it's, it's definitely a different look now, um, but it's, it's something that I'm still passionate about. I'm still passionate about um, being involved in whatever ways I can. Like I still have some restrictions with my probation and stuff where they kind of frown upon me going into like any kind of uh, plant touching or, or actual cultivation stuff like that. But, but there's a number of different avenues and ideas like, and angles that I've been kind of like just looking at and, and viewing over the, even the past six days of, of where our lane would be to where we can continue to like in, innovate and, you know, come up with new ideas and, and something that's exciting. And, and a lot of those ideas, you know, I've shared with Weldon and we kind of share like, a lot of the similar visions on where we want to be. And, and I kind of, I just really look forward to, uh, you know, what these next few months and even few years are going to be and, and what we can do for the industry, what we can do for people, what we can do in the justice reform space and all those, like, and I'm really excited. I'm like, I got my running shoes on, you know what I mean? I'm ready to, I'm ready to hit the ground and, and, and start to get it. Well, then talk about some of the logistics of what you have to go through as you advocate, right? So awareness is only part of the story, right? And the more you guys are out there, the more people are aware and, and this, this issue of punishment nowhere near fits the crime, right? And debatable even if it is a crime to begin with, right? That's only part of the story. You've got to do real kind of grunt work, presumably, to get the politicians to not just pay attention, but act. What are some of the things that you're doing uh, and your team at Mission Green to actually affect change? So one of the most effective tools that we have is uh, story creating. Uh, and, and I'll share a story. This, I learned this actually, I was in prison when this happened. And so some folks at the Coke Network created a short documentary with my sister and my sons and my judge. And they went and shared this story before some of the conservatives that were not yet on board with criminal justice reform, but they held committee chairs like Chuck Grassley and, you know, this documentary that was played for Chuck Grassley actually changed his entire perspective. He went from a no to a yes, not only I'm going to support it, but I'm going to sponsor it. And so one thing that we've been doing is finding unique stories like Luke's, like mine, like others, tons of stories out there that are so compelling. And we create, you know, we, we have a production team that, that's really good at you know, creating these stories. And I think that's one of the most effective tools is story sharing because, you know, you can put a human face on it. When you sit there, we're usually, uh, you know, looked at as numbers. And, and when you're getting sentenced in the prison system, you're looked at as a number. It's all about the math. You're not actually seeing the human side of it. They look at the sentencing guidelines. They look at the statutory minimum, statutory maximum, and they come up with the number in their head. It's really cruel when you think about it. And so when when these lawmakers get to actually see the human side, get to see the family and how much they've suffered and, you know, what this really does to people, you know, it changes the hearts and minds. You got to start with the citizens and the people and the constituents and then move on to the lawmakers. And we've been really successful at that. Has it been surprising to you the kind of bipartisan reception, you know, to the efforts that you're doing? I mean, I think 
you can argue that back in the day, whatever, you know, it was it was maybe conservatives would be more anti than liberals. It seems like both sides of the aisle are kind of coming together on this. Yeah, we started seeing a big shift in around 2014. And, you know, that's for a number of reasons. But I think one of the, the big reasons is Charles Koch and his massive network decided to take up criminal justice reform for whatever reason, they did it, and they've been extremely effective in getting other Republicans. And I think another aspect of that is the new libertarian-leaning conservatives like Mike Lee um, that came up in the Tea Party movement, that they are you know, pro-criminal justice reform because they're pro-liberty, pro-freedom. And so uh, that generation coming into the Republican Party has certainly helped us as well, because Mike Lee's been one of the leading voices on criminal justice reform. And so and I think it's starting now to, to move that way with regard to cannabis. We were having a you know very intense conversation with some very powerful people, billionaires, high level um, Republican senators. And the, the conversation came up around drugs and legalization and uh, more more and more of them started to become on board with ending prohibition. Hey, Weldon, you know, I know you and I talk about this often, and I know that it's an ongoing dynamic, but in your opinion, you know, having been so close to the conversations, like, why did you, why do you think we came up short at the end of last year? And, you know, what, what do you, what do we take forward from that going into 2023? Yeah, well, a number, and you hear it different from different sides. You know, I've talked to the Democrats and, you know, they blamed on the Republicans, Republicans blamed on Democrats, and they all blamed on the industry. But I think one of the reasons is too, is that, you know, we were asking for just what we wanted. And usually you got to come, come into asking for more and negotiate your way down. But, you know, Mitch McConnell was a, a huge part of of that failing. And I think a part of the blame goes to Schumer as well for the, for trying to do it at the last moment. But I do know for a fact that Schumer told to me that, you know, get, if you get to a yes, I'm cool with that. And then at the very end, he said, don't get to a yes. And then, you know, a lot of people think that McConnell did that because of the way it was being introduced rather than as a standalone. But we don't really know. And, and this is what Mitch McConnell does. And what's interesting is that this happened when we were doing the First Step Act. And so we had to have Charles Coke go talk to Mitch McConnell. We had to have President Trump tweet to Mitch McConnell because he didn't want to introduce it. He said there's not enough votes for it, just like he said was safe. But Mike Lee counted 87 votes for the First Step Act. And when it passed, it passed with, I think, 87 or 88 votes. And so, you know, Mitch McConnell is the roadblock right now. And that's where we have to put our focus. Let's go to uh, some of the audience. Yeah, I'll go first. So I guess it depends who we're speaking to. When we're speaking to Republicans, we're more approaching it from a state's rights perspective. And so we tend to focus on Republicans that are in states where, you know, it's either legal for medicinal purposes or recreational and so a lot of them support it only because their constituents support it. And so but when it comes to Democrats, Democrats look at this more as from a justice perspective. But uh, that's some interesting information. I'll definitely have to consider that. A lot of the Republicans that are against cannabis are also against Delta A and all those other substances, too. Is it fair to say, well, that we need to get you know, safe banking in place before we get kind of broad clemency and pardons for those prisoners? Is that what has to happen first? We'll be back after a quick break. 
Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. No, those aren't those two aren't related. And so safe safe can pass independently. But the president, we've been working with the White House since February of 2021. And we've been trying to develop a clemency program where the president can feel comfortable granting, you know, there's only 2,700 people left in the federal prison system. And I say only because if you look at the states, there's way more left in prison. And so the president, it's not a huge lift. President Obama commuted almost 2,000 sentences in his last 18 months in office. And so this is not a huge task for Biden, but Biden is more conservative than most Democrats. And, you know, we met with his staffers and they admitted such, but they also promised that this was going to happen. And lately we've seen Biden sort of, you know, kind of manipulate his statements and his, and even the way he describes his previous promises because in the beginning, he never said, I'm going to let people out of jail for possession because no one goes to jail for possession in the federal system. And so we're going to continue working with the Biden administration and hold them to their promises to let these folks out and also to pardon individuals like Luke, who shouldn't be a felon over this in, if anyway, because he was following state law. And that's a separate conversation that can happen simultaneously. While the safe is in the hands of, of Congress, I do agree that we need to get safe passed. And if we can pass safe with hope and with the Graham Act, then, then we should do that. And if we can't, I still support safe because we need to we need the momentum. We need to keep moving forward, keep chipping away. There hasn't been any, you know, the only uh, bill that's passed recently has been, you know, the, the research bill. And so we need to start making progress and, and get the momentum going. I appreciate you, uh, your words and, and your support. And, and definitely. And I mean, I just want to take a second too and just say like the support that I've gotten from the community, not just the industry, but just like the overall, like even the community of people that aren't even involved in cannabis has been tremendous, very humbling. So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for that. It's crazy. So when I was leaving prison and on my way to the airport, I stopped and got a pizza pizza hut. And I, I mean, I know like that's not like the top notch pizza or anything like that. But when I bit into a medium pepperoni pan pizza from Pizza Hut, like it felt like I was like in heaven. I was like, this tastes so good. Like the food in prison is so poor quality, like the stuff that you hear about prison food being bad, like it's all true. So like when I bit into this pizza, I was like, like it tasted like real i guess that's the only word i could use to describe it it was like it tasted like real food and i was like i was in heaven on that but i I would say like the best meal that i had is probably the meal my mom cooked and my brother my brother threw some fillets on the uh on the grill and my mom you know made a bunch of sides and stuff and she she's a great cook so you know just the home cooked meal and, and reconnecting with them i think was the awesomest thing as far as the next six months uh yeah man like i said uh I definitely want to get in, back into, you know, the industry in the capacity that I'm allowed to. And advocacy is like my one of my main 
like goals. Like that's not like a side thing. You know what I mean? It's not like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, and I'm going to kind of do advocacy when I have time. Like advocacy is my main, like primary thing that I'm focused on right now. I'm focused. Like I knew what it was like to like sit in there and watch like the industry grow and sit in there and watch like everything take off and just and flourish while like you're in like a dungeon basically. So I, I, I know the plight of, of the men and the women and the people that are, are still locked up in prison behind cameras. I know how they feel. I know how frustrating it can be. So, you know, one of my main goals is to, you know, continue to do that. We're missing green is going to make a huge impact on, on that space. We're going to go in there We're we're coming in guns blazing. So yeah, like you know, continue to do that, continue to do everything that we can and just, you know, put one foot in front of the other and, do, and walk this path. You know, this path was set before us. Everything happens for a reason. I know Weldon was really wet, let down as well as m- me and my family were when, when we didn't get out with Trump, but it wasn't meant to be at that time. It's meant to be now and everything's kind of clicking and aligning. Um, we're getting opportunities like this on Twitter, on spaces to talk to everybody here and answer these questions. So, so yes, man, I appreciate it. And uh, we're moving forward. So, and just to highlight that story you mentioned, and I believe I told this to Luke, I had been to the White House probably a dozen times under the Trump administration, trying to get Luke and other people out, meeting with President Trump, Jared Kushner, Ivanka and, and others. And when I the first time I went to the Biden White House, I almost didn't get in because of my record. Even though I've been fully pardoned, I did get in, I got through, but there was a problem initially, which we were going to the White House with members of Congress and the former Deputy Attorney General of the United States. And they we all looked at each other and said, this is why expungements are so important because of this. A fully pardoned person, you know, almost didn't get in the White House because of a record. And so you know, expungement's extremely important. Everyone thinks, and even Biden thought that he could expunge a record through a pardon. You could be fully pardoned and you are still considered a felon because even though my felon, my felony's nullified, it's still on record. And so if I go anywhere and I apply for anything, any application, it's still going to come up. Now I can show them the pardon, uh, but they're still going to know I was convicted of a felony. And so expungements are extremely important. And right now we are trying to get a smaller expungement bill reintroduced because, you know, right now there's we don't have the votes for something like the Moore Act or CAOA. But there is going to be after a post safe plus package, once that's passed, there is a lot of talk about another smaller short short of descheduling package that will include expungement that will include other very important reforms on the criminal justice side, as well as the industry side. And that's something I'm really excited to get to once we can get this safe plus hope package passed. And and I'm sure everybody on this space is sort of leaned off their, almost fell off their chair when you just glanced by that. Do you have any insights that you can share? Because I know a lot of people think that after what happened at the end of last year, the untold story was safe. and And I had this conversation with Michael earlier today, you know, And one of the problems that we've identified, or at least acknowledged, is that ideologically, we all have our views of where cannabis should be, and we all have a good reason for that. I think most sane people would say descheduled. I think there's been a lot of fractured opinions coming at DC, uh, and it's been very confusing when an industry can't align on an ask, and it's been very frustrating. 
And I think a lot of people, you know, walked away from December deflated, thinking that DC doesn't care. This isn't, you know, endemic of uh, that. This isn't going anywhere, and kind of threw in the towel. You know, I think we could all agree there was a lot of progress, a lot of education that was done. But the untold story here, uh, in terms of incremental change, is without banking, uh, you don't have the ability to buy in, in custody. Uh, you know, cannabis-related securities, and that's been systematically choked off for the last three years. Uh, and so we, we often say you can hold your breath for a minute under ten feet of water, but you can't hold your breath for ten minutes under a foot of water. And and you know, three years is is a lot longer than ten minutes. Uh, so, and that's not by accident. Like, there's a lot of industries that don't want to see cannabis uh, take root, uh, and they're very strategic in their policy, and and they only have to take one step, and that's on the throat of progress. So I think there were a lot of lessons learned from, from at least from where I'm I'm sitting. And my question to you, Weldon, is, you know, I, you know, is that incremental? Is that a pie in the sky prognostication, or is there signs that there could actually be progress from where you sit? Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely have a better shot this year than we did uh, last year. I think we have more support, I, and it's like hard to to get into it without revealing confidential information. But just say that we now have the votes to pass that package. And so right now it's all about getting the Republican, more Republicans on board and figuring out a way to get this through with Mitch McConnell and knowing where he stands. And that's sort of the areas that we are focusing on rather than going around and and speaking with Democrats and people that we already know agree with us. You know, our sole focus is Republicans. That's the our sole mission is to get Republicans, more and more Republicans on board, because that's another reason why Mitch McConnell blocked it, in addition to the way it was being introduced, but because he's saying it's, you know, it, it, there's not enough of his uh, of his party on board with it. And so, you know, we, we're trying to change that. And, and I think we have the right people on board to, to make that happen. You know, there's been there's a few new freshman senators that, that, that are on board. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling much more confident that you know, this year is going to turn out different. Todd, how important are, you know, entrepreneurs, companies like what you do at CB1 Capital, how important are, are is that side of the community to affecting change and, and helping to support uh, things that Weldon's doing and others that are trying to push forward? Well, you know, this has been a an ongoing battle for everyone in the industry. Uh, you know, these are pioneers and entrepreneurs who are founding these companies. You know, we talk about it a lot. You know, they didn't do anything wrong, most of them. I mean, there's bad actors in every industry, but these are pioneers and entrepreneurs that built the one and only state-level cannabis industry from the inside out, U.S. cannabis industry from the inside out. So, you know, they shouldn't be penalized. They've been vilified, uh, by and large, for being part of the problem. But I think one of the things that you know, Weldon and I have been talking about is, you know, trying to find a rational middle for that conversation and understanding that, you know, this is, we're all pulling on the baby, uh, we're going to rip the baby apart. What I have found to be helpful is to do what I can to help support Weldon do what he does. Um, and I know we're working on expanding the Verano program, the pilot that we rolled, uh, that we rolled out last year, the one that spotlighted Luke, uh, the Roundup program to support Mission Green. You know, we're not going to really get into too much of, of where that stands, but it's very encouraging in terms of the support we've seen from across the industries. To be clear, not a trade group. This is just Mission Green. But if we can go ahead and build a consortium of operators who are willing uh, to stand aside or permission their consumers of legal cannabis to round up 
for federal cannabis reform at scale, uh, then you know that 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 gets welled in his war chest to go do what he does, and it doesn't ask anybody to write a check, and it's really you know by the people and for the people. Now that's the concept, the idea. Uh, that's what we're trying to affect, and you know, stay tuned on that. Uh, but any support for Weldon is appreciated. I mean, you know, I, I watch him sort of as a one man band, and you know, he he needs the support, and I'm happy, so happy that Luke's going to be, you know, uh, side by side. And I know that there's a lot on the calendar that they uh, intend to do. And you know, it's it, these are tough times. You know, you can't go around and ask for for loose change uh, unless you actually go around and ask for loose change. So, you know, any support is appreciated, but beyond that, it's really just communicating with your congressmen uh, and your and your lawmakers uh, and letting your voices heard. I mean, it's really, that's the, the baseline. One thing that, and you know, we, we appreciate the industry getting behind us. You know, Luke's the new, new member to the team, and I know he's going to be very effective because his story is going to resonate with both sides. But we look at it as, you know, a lot of the Republicans don't give a lot of credibility to to people in the industry. And the Democrats feel like the industry is anti-social justice, anti-criminal justice reform, and that if we pass, you know, safe banking and 280E or whatever, that they're just going to drop back and stop supporting anything because that's what they want. And so we feel like, you know, this Mission Green Alliance is going to be you know, effective at, at advocating for both sides because we understand, and especially Luke being from the industry, that how important it is to make sure that we have a, an industry that's that's not, you know, where it's at today. And but also, we also understand how important it is to make sure that people, you know, who have been incarcerated or who currently incarcerated get out and they're made whole again. And I think that's, you know, the difference between you know, uh, what we're doing and what a lot of other, uh, you know, trade groups and lobbyists. And, and one more thing, Michael, and I think this is an important point. A lot of people conflate criminal justice and social justice. You know, criminal justice or the notion that, you know, nobody should be in prison for a nonviolent cannabis offense. I think that's, you know, a pretty agreeable concept. You know, whether those people should be put at the front of the line is another conversation. And it's been very interesting to see the states, you know, trying different approaches. And I was just talking about this today with, with somebody from my hometown, Newsday. Um, you know, it's been very interesting to see New York overreach, I guess, and uh, box out the registered operators, the MSOs. You know, we've talked a lot about Weldon and I over the last couple of years, how this can't be us versus them. This has to be we and how, right? You have to, the only way to really build a sustainable federal framework is to, is to leverage the state level structures. I mean, these are states, it's the 10th, uh, I would say the 10th commandment, the 10th amendment, you know, the laboratories of democracy, they built these systems and, and to try to, you know, uh, usurp them is foolish, right? So leverage them, build off them, incorporate the criminal, uh, incorporates the social justice and, and get the criminal justice stuff passed. But I think the big mistake as an industry, all of us, as we've learned, as I've learned in real time, is, you know, looking at where this should be as opposed to what's immediately in front of us. What what can we affect if we align uh, and unify and, and just try to do the right thing, you know, at the right time and, and do it the right way? Because if we don't, again, you're going to see more of what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks, which is mass layoffs and divestitures. And it's, you know, again, you know, you're choking off the oxygen, you know, the capital flows. It's very hard for an industry for, for three years now. Uh, it started with Pershing and moved on to J.P. Morgan and Credit Suisse. And uh, even just, you know, last month, it was uh, Euroclear. 
So, you know, systematically, they've choked off access, and it's not by accident. This is, these are smart people, follow the money. Uh, but there is, a, uh, you know, an opportunity here to build a, you know, a really tremendous American industry. That's, by the way, uh, a, a, a domestic supply chain doesn't have any FX risk, uh, is, a, is an economic engine, is an employment engine, uh, and is a criminal justice, frees the criminal justice chains that have you know, been a, a stain on this country. So I am curious, this is to you, Luke, because I think you know, music is a big part of you know, Weldon, obviously, your life, and, and Luke, yours as well. I'm a mu- musician in, in my own way. You think music sucks nowadays? Come on, now that you're out of out of prison, you're listening to what's going on. I'm curious, Luke. What, what's what's the uh, what's your sense I of do. the music industry now? I mean, there's definitely still a lot of talented artists out there, but yeah, I, I mean, generally speaking, I'd have to agree. I'd say like a lot of the music is like computerized, auto tune, mumbling, mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. But there's still some be- people in in the especially in the rap and hip hop space that are are being creative and still doing things. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot different than it was when when I went in. But, uh, you know, you know, things things go in cycles like that. One of the things I wanted to really just touch base on that I feel like has changed like the music is the situation of how we are approaching this safe banking and everything that's going into to Congress is like the conversation has changed now, because when I think Mission Green and all of us over there are, are we're, we're more we're uniquely positioned now because now with me coming out, I, I've been in the industry since 2004 and I was and I'm also, you know, a, a stakeholder with the people that have been impacted the most by by prohibition. So now we can kind of approach this. We can kind of approach this in a, in a way where it's packaged in front of them that says, hey, look, like I'm representing this industry. I'm also one of the people that have been most impacted by cannabis. This was this is this is not only a social justice issue and a criminal justice issue, but it's also a state's rights issue. So now when we can kind of circle that whole thing in there now, now that the, the package looks different now, the package could, and it's presented in a different way. So I'm, I'm really excited for us to be able to kind of craft it in this way, present it to the lawmakers in this way and the senators and the, and the other stakeholders in the, in this process and let the industry know like that, like, okay, now, like we, uh, our ship looks different now, you know, and we have a way to where we can navigate it into these waters that I think we can push it across the, the, the finish line. So I, I know I kind of got off, off base there on that, but I just wanted to kind of add that. Go ahead, Weldon. Yeah, sorry. I know you want to uh, chime in there, Weldon. No, I was I was going back to the music side of it. I wanted to say, say that I am going to go a little further than Luke, and I think the music now sucks. There are a few good good artists, but, you know, I come from the 90s, which I, I think is the golden era. And so, you know, when I was, I think from like, you know, the early 90s to maybe 2004, uh, right around the time I was sent to prison, I think was the best music. And one thing that's different is when we were making music, you know, in the 90s, it meant something. We were advocates. You know, I'm an advocate now, like, you know, an actual advocate. But previously, you know, at least in my space, we were talking about these issues in the music. We were, you know, talking about social justice in a different way. And so I think that kind of change now where a lot of these young youngsters aren't really addressing you know these issues in their music like they used to be and so i'd like to see some more of that come back and you know we've been able to 
you know, people like Drake, you don't ever hear him talking about it, but he recently stepped up and is supporting our call to President Biden. And so, you know, that's I just wanted to note that about the music industry, because I was working with all these legends like Snoop and all the legends of the 90s. People still are going to prison for, you know, 50 years, 30 years for even cocaine or even, you know, whatever. Um, and, and I'd like to see more, you know, more people in hip hop doing something about it, speaking out, rallying or whatever. Yeah, thanks, man. I want to say one thing. A lot of people on here probably don't know this, but there was a reason why Luke was prosecuted. And it's it's an unjust reason. It makes it even more egregious. But because Luke had the audacity to say, fuck the feds in a music video exercising his First Amendment rights, then the feds showed up to his business and said, who's fuck now? And you knew we were coming. Like you were expecting us because what you said. And that's one thing that angers me the most about Luke's case is that, you know, he exercises First Amendment right. And they targeted him because of that. And his prosecutor, when, when I first got out, we took Luke's clemency petition that he and I wrote while we were in prison together and his co-defendants, Ricardo Montez, we got them to Valerie Jarrett at the White House. And she ushered him up the chain of command and Ricardo was given clemency and Luke's was denied. And we know that President Obama made a policy that only people that could get clemency were those that had their prosecutor support. So the prosecutor signed off on Ricardo's, but not Luke's because of that video and the fact that Luke is an activist. He was an activist even before prison. And so that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't know about this case. When we when I was working with President Trump and they called me and said, tell let Luke know he's going home. And, you know, I told his family and, and, and they took him off at the last minute because of his prosecutor fighting it. This case, she fought him all the way to the end. She fought his compassionate release motion. And she really took it personal and, and all because of, you know, exercising this First Amendment right. First, I want to just say thank you, man. I, I appreciate the support uh, that, that you guys have done over the, the past few years, you and everything at Glasshouse. And you guys have been great and blessed me when, once I got home and, and with the job offers. And I hope that we can definitely link up no matter what the restrictions are. I, I foresee us linking up in, in some way of being able to do this. So I just wanted to say I really appreciate everything you guys are doing over there. And Verano with the with the program that they they put like our story in all the dispensaries. It, I have a funny story because I, I wrote a memoir while I was in prison and I I have some uh, people who are producing it as a, a mini series and they were all the way out in like Boston, I think they said, and they went into a dispensary and they saw the, you know, the ad and everything and the advertisement and the, and the thing with my picture on it and telling my story. So I thought that was really awesome. So the support of like Glass House and some of those other people that have been supporting me and Mission Green, it's it's so humbling. And I really want to thank everybody for that. But yeah, it was like, you know, I've always been an advocate for, for cannabis and I was very outspoken on it. And it was something that like really put a target on our back. But, um, you know, at the at the time, you know, I really didn't care. I felt like the federal government was unjustly like targeting cannabis dispensaries and the cannabis industry back then. And I, I was vocal about it. So I, I went in, I made a music video. I told them what I thought about them and uh, they, they vindictively went in and 
and try to take my life away, really. Well, it's just business, man, just business. right? It's just business. Man. Yeah, just business, <laughs> man. That, that, beat, that, beat aged that. Well. that beat aged well. I listened to it, I listened to it earlier. That, was, that beat was solid. I'm, I'm telling you, it's pretty good. Yeah. And, and, and the part where he puts the middle finger up, I'm just like, I shook my head. I go, man, I hope it was worth it. <laughs> because that that is the, that was my understanding is was what really pissed off the wrong people. And the fact that they can hide behind yeah. the laws. You know, I wanted to ask you, Weldon, just to elucidate a bit, you know, the HOPE Act and why that's important at the state level and sort of the progress, because there's a lot of moving parts, but only 2,700, not only, forgive me, there's 2,700, but you know, what is it, 90% is at the state level and, and, and how is that being solved for? Yeah, so the HOPE Act, so right now, the plan is for the Democrats, I believe, in the Senate to introduce SAFE plus HOPE plus GRAM. Everyone knows that the Graham Act is, you know, a a bill that would give medical cannabis patients the right to possess a firearm. And the HOPE Act gives funding to states that are that need it for expungement, like California, for instance. I don't think the HOPE Act, you know, there's not a there's not a whole lot of money in there because a state like California, there's thousands and thousands of people that are still waiting for their records to be expunged. And so these states need the funding. And so the HOPE Act you know, gives them that funding. And so the HOPE Act's important. And I do believe we'll see this package introduced uh, end of March in both the House and the Senate. And, you know, it's extremely important. And, you know, I think I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see a different outcome this time around. By the way, everybody that's here, speaking of support, please show support. Follow Weldon and follow Luke. Consider donating to the Weldon Project and, you know, engaging with Mission Green Listen, I, you know, I've got a lot of social media followers, Todd Harrison's, you know, very well known in the industry. What we do is nothing compared to what these guys are trying to do. I mean, these guys deserve the followers, not us. I mean, the work that I do is is nothing compared to the types of things they're trying to accomplish. So please give them a follow. I'm going to have this again as a podcast. Uh, I will notify everybody when that podcast is available. Share it around. Let people know and get engaged. And thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you, Weldon. Thank you, Luke. Uh, God bless all of you guys for the the work that you're doing, the life you're leading. So uh, thank you, everybody. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.